Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Welcome to the conference room for a very special best of 2021 episode of the podcast. We've had an unbelievable first year of the podcast and welcomed some extraordinary guests, all of whom have given us the most amazing value, actionable tips and guidance based on the lessons they've learned throughout their careers. And the pattern started with our very first guest, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, who came into the conference room for episode one. Now, as being a hugely respected medical professional, Dr. Bakhtari has also built a series of successful businesses, including the largest independent chain of drug testing centers here in the US. Our conversation focused on cultivating a culture within your business where every employee feels a sense of responsibility to the business as if they themselves were an owner, which Dr. Bakhtari felt was the best way to develop a business so it can survive without the owners being present every day. I asked him what steps someone could take to achieve it. First thing you need to do is communicate to everybody that you hire that because you're a startup, you need owners. And in our world, there's only three types of staff you can hire. There are people who are literally clocking in and out. And, you know, once they leave work, they're done. There are people who literally feel like they're an owner shortly after you hire them or whatever. And then there are people who often, at least if, if they feel that you need that, if you need them to care at that level, they sort of will pretend to care because they know what you're looking for. So really to get to the level where you can give autonomy and give responsibilities to people. You need to identify people who are actually going to care about the business almost as much as if they were owners. And that also means parting ways with people who may be doing a good job, but are not giving you that extra effort. And those are expectations you could set out at the beginning. Listen, we're not a company with has a thousand employees where if somebody's clock, if the thousandth employee is clocking in and out, it doesn't really matter. When there's only three of you or four of you clocking in and out really shows up. Once you set those expectations out, you have to be prepared to have honest conversations with staff and say, listen, I know you're doing an okay job, but given where our organization is, we actually need more. Not necessarily more hours, but you know, and I can give you some examples of how you can decipher who is clocking in and who's like an owner. And we could maybe talk about that, but you have to be emotionally prepared to part ways, at least in the beginning, if that's what you need for your company to grow. If you just have a job where people have to package those things and mail them out, you don't need an owner for that. And a lot of people can do that. But if you need someone to be thinking ahead, anticipating, creating opportunities, you're not going to get that necessarily from someone clocking in and out. That was Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, who, since our recording, has gone on to launch his own YouTube channel, where he demystifies the complex medical world in which we live today. It's called The Jonathan Bakhtari Show. I strongly recommend it, and we'll put links to it and to him in the show notes below. Through my headhunting business, Silesia Human Capital, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing technology leaders. And one of the most amazing sales leaders I've ever worked with is George Muldoon. He's the former CRO of cyber vendor Bromium and the current VP of Strategic Alliances of Hyper. 
George was another very early guest on the conference room, and with Dr. Vactoria's interview still fresh in my mind, I asked George how he would assess a good candidate for a sales position. There are some core things that I do look for. Number one, I'm looking for somebody who's a problem solver, because no matter how smart somebody is, no matter how you know well they communicate, especially when you're talking about a cybersecurity startup or any startup for that matter, you've got to be able to overcome obstacles yourself without you know necessarily a, a large team around you. So I look for ability to solve problems. And I actually bring up interviews, scenarios, and ask them, what would you do? And I look for the people who are self-sufficient, you know, obviously not people who are just renegade self-sufficient, but people who aren't going to you know, require a whole bunch of hand-holding beyond the onboarding phase and quickly get onboarded to the point where I think six months is pretty much the limit for when I expect somebody from the point they get hired to the point where I'm like, okay, they should be operating at full capacity. And I've got metrics along the way to look for. So problem-solving ability. Second thing I look for is intelligence. I have this technique that I use during interviews that I look to be corrected at least three times during an hour-long interview. So I will actually say something that I know is not correct and expect that person to have the nerve and the intelligence, therefore, to correct me. It's amazing how many people don't pass that. And ultimately, when you get to the end of interviewing a pool of candidates where there's a whole bunch of people involved in the interview process and they'll say, well, I really like this person. And I will bring up, well, that you know, they didn't really correct me on this or on that. And it turns out most of the time, if it's a situation where I'm part of a hiring team, it's not my hire and those people get hired, they don't work out. So I really think it's because you have to make sure that intelligence gene is there. That's really the only thing I could say about it. It's just something innate that everybody needs to have, at least in my, the business of sales to be able to think quickly on their feet, to be able to challenge customers, right? You don't wanna just let the customer drive everything. You have to make sure that you're leading the customer. And if you don't have that intelligence and that confidence really to take the bull by the horns in a conversation or in a sales campaign and say, you know what? I'd hate to see you make this big mistake. How about this way, right? And I think a customer who's genuinely interested in what you're doing or what you're selling would appreciate that. You know, I do. I appreciate people who are professionals who are trying to provide me a solution. And, you know, especially in a case where I don't have all the answers. That was George Muldoon, VP of Strategic Alliances of Hyper. And you can find George's LinkedIn details in the show notes. David Levine is the founder and former CEO of Digital Bridge, a software company he launched to solve a specific problem. His wife couldn't figure out what wallpaper would match their furniture when she wanted to decorate their living room. Dave came into the conference room to talk about the process of going from identifying a problem to building a company that solves it. I asked him how he went about turning a problem into a viable business. I think the first step is, I think, really experiencing a problem yourself. I think if you don't experience it and it's not causing you enough pain, then it's kind of hard to have that passion because there are always ups and there are lots lots of downs in building your own business. One person said to me, you know, a while ago, the difference between an entrepreneur and everybody else out there is an entrepreneur, just like everybody else, has absolutely no idea how he's going to solve the problem he needs to solve. But unlike everybody else, we'll figure a way out. And that's what I did. And that's what I think every successful entrepreneur did. When you're running your own business, there are no excuses for why you can't do a thing. You just got to kind of figure out a way. You got to hustle. You got to push. 
you've got the drive, you have the balance between listening and learning from everybody around you, particularly when you hire a team and you hire people far more intelligent than you, which in my case was quite easy. But there'll always be reasons, lots and lots of reasons for people to say no, or you can't do that, or that's a stupid idea. And you've got to be able to have that pool of self-belief that you can call upon to push you through it. Whilst sometimes, I mean, yeah, they could be right, but it doesn't matter because you want to kind of do this. And I think it's a case of really focusing on what matters. And I think you know, these days there's far more methodology around it when it comes to lean, you know, the concept of building a minimal viable product. So I would say for people out there, problems they want to solve and they think this could be a business, that's your hypothesis. Your hypothesis is there is a problem that is in need of being solved and there are people prepared to pay in some way to solve that problem. So you create an experiment, a minimal viable product, which is the barest minimum thing you can get into people's hands. And you put it in their hands and you watch and you measure and you see what they do with it. And very often there'll be things you hadn't thought of, it won't work, they won't do it, but they might do something else. But that's all good learning because you have a hypothesis or a series of hypotheses and you were creating an experiment or a series of experiments to test whether or not the hypotheses, the hypothesis or hypotheses holds true in the real world. So you're creating the environment in which you can give, deliver that experiment and measure that experiment. That was Dave Levine, who is now Entrepreneur in Residence at Enterprise Cities Accelerator Programme for UK-based high-growth potential startups. And we'll put his social links in the show notes. Imposter syndrome seemed to be a feature in many discussions we had in 2021. And productivity coach Tiffany Taylor came into the conference room to talk about ways to overcome it and to tackle a sense of overwhelm. Overwhelm is generally not what we think it is. Overwhelm has the power to really cloud the mind, cloud the judgment, and any idea of what you're supposed to be doing at that moment. It usually comes from a place of fear. And it's generally not the first thing that the person says from what I've noticed. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're telling someone you're overwhelmed for a reason, I would challenge you to look a little bit deeper. And if you're not able to schedule a call with a coach, I would say take notes and start journaling. I'm overwhelmed because, and then start writing on a bullet points. I'm also overwhelmed because this. If things go terribly wrong, this is the worst thing that will happen. And really write out that vision. I'm not just saying, you know, bullet points. Really draw out and be descriptive with what's the worst possible case scenario with whatever situation you're in. And then from there, write out the best case scenario. And when it comes to actually acting, and these are just small tips. Again, they can't necessarily apply to everyone. I would give not knowing any details or situation. Ask yourself when you're about to make an action, are you acting in faith? or are you acting in fear? For example, a lot of my clients are learning how to make videos right now. They all have their own businesses and videos get a lot more engagement in social media. And there's a huge confidence block when it comes to putting videos out on social media. And one tip I just gave one of my clients yesterday was I want you to watch other entrepreneurs' videos, find three that you really like, and I want you to write down everything you enjoy watching with their videos. If you think that video is perfect, nothing's perfect. If you think it's perfect and like the kind of video you want to make, I want you to write everything down about why you like it. Do they smile a lot? Are they looking directly at the camera? What kind of outfit are they wearing? What does the background look like? What is their tone like? What is their pitch like? Because that's what confidence looks like. And that's what you're attracted to. So now you have to decide what does confidence look like on you? And you're going to wear it like an outfit. Maybe you're not feeling confident, but you're going to act it. The thing is with confidence is confidence is built by evidence. A lot of people think they need the confidence to go and do the thing. It's not the right way. You need to do that thing you need to do first. And once you continue doing it, that's where you get the confidence. But you can wear confidence like an outfit. This is very much a fake it till you make it kind of thing. 
That was Tiffany Taylor, who quit her job with only a yoga mat and a pocket full of change and built a hugely successful coaching business. Her Facebook group, Productivity Hacking, is full of actionable tips and is well worth you seeking out. And we'll put links to it and how to reach out to Tiffany in the show notes. Keeping with the theme of overwhelm, System strategist Amber Dancy came in to talk about the importance of having systems in your business and how working with a system strategist can help you become more efficient and make more money. Now, Amber and I used to work together and she understands more than anyone how chaotic and overwhelming my days used to get. So I asked Amber what practical steps people can take to deal with being overwhelmed. So first things first is to get it out of your head. So the next time you do, like if you know that you're spending too much time, if you're in this place and you hear this and you're like, okay, Amber, we're taking all the boxes here. This is totally where we're at. Take a minute. The next time you do something that you know is a repeatable process in your business, document it. And I don't mean like over, don't make it more complicated than it has to be. If you are comfortable with screen share or Loom or Camtasia or one of those screen capture things, just record yourself doing it the next time you do it and pop it in a folder somewhere. I promise you, whoever you wind up hiring when you get to that point will be really grateful to have those things there. And so will you, because you'll be able to say, hey, I have this whole folder of things that I threw in here. Can you help me create a SOPs or standard operating procedures out of these. So you're already one step closer to bringing in help. Like it never even occurred to you. And if it's not like if Loom or if screen capture is not your thing, honestly, guys, just write it down. Like just quickly, just brain dump it as you're doing the steps and just put it in a special folder so you know where it is. Sometimes just the act of like downloading that out of your brain is a huge relief in the moment because what happens is you're in that space and they come to me and they're like, I know I need to hire help, but I can't even imagine trainings. How am I supposed to train someone? How do I have time to tell someone else what to do? That's usually, you ask me about common problems. I can't believe I forgot this earlier. That's another one is that you're like, I don't know how to hire anyone. I don't know what I'm doing. How do I slow down enough to train and onboard and bring somebody in? So do it. That's like a huge step. Then the other piece is built in, like, look, everybody rolls their eyes at me in this one. Track your time for just a week. Like track what you're doing, because I almost guarantee you that you're not spending as much time working, like actually working as you think you are. We feel like we're real good at like finding things to do, to feel busy. And then looking up at the end of the week, I was so busy. I couldn't possibly have done that lead generation or that visibility exercise I needed to be doing to bring in new business because I was working. But the real answer was you were spending a lot of time in there spinning your wheels, trying to figure out what to do next, not working. That was system strategist Amber Dancy. And you can find her and her consulting business, Hidden Path Solutions, on Facebook, and we'll post the links to both in the show notes. Now, I love it when people come into the podcast and give a masterclass in specific areas of business growth that they focus on. And I also love it when people give a big picture story of how they grew a business soup to nuts. And with Ray Blakeney, I got to do both. Ray bootstrapped his seven-figure online language school, Live Lingua, and taught me through exactly how he did it. And we quickly turned to his silver bullet, Search Engine Optimization, or SEO. SEO. The thing about SEO that a lot of people might intellectually understand, but they don't prepare themselves for is SEO is a marathon. It is a long-term gain, unless you have millions and millions of dollars, which means you can kind of hack it a little bit. But even then it's hard, right? You have to spend a lot of money to keep up with somebody who's been keeping at it for a long time. And that's why most people think SEO doesn't work today. They hire an SEO company. They try to do it themselves. They wait 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And they're like, I'm not number one on Google yet. 
what are you selling? Books. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be number one on Google in 90 days if you're selling books. I mean, forget about it, right? You have to find a niche, find something that's less competitive, and then at least wait a year. You might get lucky. You might be there in three months, but I would plan for a year just to be safe before you even get on the first page. I'm not talking number one. I'm talking like number nine on the first page, right? Unless you have money or you can dedicate yourself full time. If this is a side hustle, it'd probably take you about a year to start getting traction. But once you get in there, SEO is pure profit. I'm, I'm launching an e-commerce business in January, right? And I'm having trouble finding books on how to sell products that rank organically because e-commerce is based on paid ads, right? They say, okay, I have $100. I'm selling a product for $200. I'm going to make a $100 profit. I'm going to spend $80 on ads. And as long as I can sell for $80, I made $20 on the product. Awesome. I made profit. If you did the same thing on SEO by showing up on organic results, you didn't make it $20 on profit. You made $100 on profit on selling exactly the same product because you didn't have to spend $80 to get people to come and look and buy that product. That is the beauty of SEO. But if you want to get to that point, it takes time. There are no shortcuts. In fact, if you do get links too quickly, which is a big part of SEO, you might get your site banned by Google because Google's like, that's not natural. Nobody gets links that quickly. There are ways around it. But generally speaking, if you do it organically, it's just by its nature, it's going to take you a lot of time to do it. But it's so worth it. Let's say in three years, you could have a business generating six figures in income from SEO. Working for somebody else, you're going to get $100,000 raise in the next three years? Probably not. Put in the three years worth of work. You'll have a great property or website at that point, and you can start monetizing that was Ray Blakeney, CEO of Live Lingua, and you can find him and Live Lingua on Facebook and on the web, and we'll post links to both in the show notes. The Conference Room podcast was launched during the COVID-19 pandemic at a time when most business sectors were really suffering, and few were suffering more than the exhibition and conference industry. Exhibition expert and CEO of Exhibition Mastery, my good friend Steve Lloyd, joined me to discuss the steps businesses should be taking to prepare themselves for reopening and their next exhibition, and how to ensure their next exhibition is a great success. Well, the primary difference is, is a lot to do with the preparation. It actually boils down to you taking it properly seriously, not just kind of taking it seriously, but taking it really seriously. You've got senior management buying, you've got all of the people are on the same part. It's a key part of your strategic marketing plan. It's included in that and it joins and piggybacks with everything else from there. So you can have a really good exhibition. You can have the best people on it and all of those different kind of things. But if you haven't done enough planning and you still don't take it seriously from the outset, then it's not going to be as good as it could be. If you've done all of that and you've had a really serious and you've taken it seriously and you've done all of the things you need to do in order to ensure that your exhibition is going to be good, you can have a poor exhibition, but it would still be a great exhibition because the things that you've done beforehand carry on after the exhibition and it carries rolling through. What I see in the clients that I work with is they go, oh, an exhibition. Oh yeah, we'll buy that. And then they forget about it. Then a little while later, they'll think, I need a stand. And so they'll ask to design a stand. They won't brief them properly. The stand designers, they're kind of scratching their heads a lot of the time. And then actually when they do, they create a stand. They create these masterpieces of amazement that look fantastic. But because they haven't been briefed properly, they don't necessarily have the right messaging on. They don't necessarily have the right theme on. And while they represent the company, they represent the company in a muddled mess. But they're built great. They're all of that kind of stuff. There is still a bit of a wow factor on them. Ultimately, it's down to the exhibitor is where I'm getting, getting to with this. And then after they they've actually got the stand they get to the show and about a week before and I think oh blind we better tell everyone that we're going to the show and then we actually better go or and I've worked with people that have done this they've turned up and gone oh yeah we've got an exhibition this week 
Pardon? What do you mean this week? You didn't know? Sorry? Have you not told everyone? Like the rest of your staff or anything like that? Oh no, can we get some stand hands? What? So if you don't take it seriously, you're not going to get what you put into it. And the more you put in, the more you get out. And I don't know anyone. If you were to spend five to 10 to 50,000 pounds on any other kind of marketing, digital, traditional, magazine, anything like that, someone would be there to say, right, ROI, how did we do with this? What's happening with these? Give me the stats. What are the numbers? What are we doing to maximize the return on this thing? How are we doing with this kind of thing? Where is it going out? How have you told our customers? What have you done all of this? But for some reason or other, exhibitions, they go, yeah, all right, whatever. That was my good friend, Steve Lloyd, CEO of Exhibition Mastery. And you can find links to him and Exhibition Mastery in the show notes. Let's face it, we all face disappointment. And many faced a lot of disappointments over the course of 2020 and 2021. And sometimes it's a challenge to tackle them and remain positive. Jeffrey Holst has dealt with financial ruin, cancer diagnosis, and many other disappointments throughout his life. And yet remains an incredibly positive person by having a philosophy of never having a bad day. And that philosophy has led him to hosting a hugely successful podcast, Last Life Ever, and building a real estate empire of over 300 properties. I asked him what advice he would give to other people in how to deal with disappointment. So there's two different components to this. There's preparing for that because we need to prepare in advance. Like if you want to run a marathon or a sprint, it doesn't matter. If you want to do really, really well at it, it requires a lot of prep work, right? You're going to run many, many, many times before the day of your marathon. Same with climbing Kilimanjaro, right? That's objectively difficult. So you want to put yourself in a position where you can mitigate whatever that potential trauma is. So you start thinking about in real estate, having adequate cash reserves. So there's a business side of it. But then there's the mental and emotional side of it. And that's the part where it's most important to be prepared. Like the reason I didn't have a bad day when I got diagnosed with leukemia is not because I woke up that day and decided I wasn't gonna have a bad day. It's because I had 13 years of preparing for that right? 13 years of no bad days. Before that, now I'm a quarter century with no bad days, which is just ridiculous. It just tells you how old I'm getting. But (laughs) what I know is that if I had been one week into my streak of no bad days, I would have had a bad day that day. So there's, you know, prepare, that's step one. And then if you just wake up tomorrow, and you're like, wow, I haven't had time to prepare, because whatever reason, you know, maybe you just listen to the show today, and then tomorrow you have this trauma happen. Know that everyone goes through trauma and just recognize that difficulties, challenges, those things are where we grow. And if we didn't have them, we wouldn't grow. It's kind of like not having regrets. People are always like, oh, I have no regrets. Well, that's dangerous. If you have no regrets, and then you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not getting better, because there's a backward looking way of regret, which is, you know, I feel bad about this. And that's not super productive. But there's a forward looking way of looking at regret, which is, okay, this objectively wasn't the right way I should have done this or whatever. And now what can I learn from that? So you have to like kind of embrace the suck, right? Like the stuff you're going through that's not good. You just kind of got to go, I'm going to come out of this stronger. And you just got to deeply believe that it's going to be all right. That was Jeffrey Holst, whose podcast Last Life Ever is one of my go-to pleasures. And you can find links to Jeffrey and his podcast in the show notes. Now, if you're anything like me, Lord help you if you are, then the world of social media marketing can appear a never-ending catalogue of complexities and confusion. Just when you're getting your head around LinkedIn and Facebook, along comes Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, and goodness knows what else. 
Thankfully, we've had so many guests come onto the show and talk about different aspects of digital marketing that we've devoted part two of the best of the conference room 2021 entirely to that. So look out for that episode when it drops next week. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a break. And what better way to relax than with my next guest? Courtney Johansson came into the conference room to talk about physical and mental wellness in the marketplace. And after a discussion about relaxation in yoga, she invited me to join her in a breathing and relaxation exercise. If you're driving right now or operating any heavy machinery, now might be a good time to press the pause button. But for everyone else, here's what happened next. So you can start to sit up nice and tall in your chair so that you have a lot of space through your torso for your breath to move and start to just breathe in and out through your nose, breathing in, feeling the breath come in and breathing out, feeling the release of air. And with your next breath in, see if you can count the length of your inhale. Might be three or four, maybe even five. And with your exhale, see if you can release with the same count. Again, maybe three, four, or five. I will use a count of four, but anyone can adjust the count as they need to fit their length of breath. So together we'll breathe in one, two, three, four, and breathing out four, three, two, one. Breathing in one, two, three, four. Breathing out four, three, two, one. One more time, breathing in one, two, three, four, and breathing out four, three, two, and one. And then just pause and notice how you feel. Notice if anything feels different in your body or your mind. And just acknowledge and appreciate the effects of that short practice. And when you're ready, you can open up your eyes, maybe take a stretch if you need to move your shoulders, your neck. And you just practice mindful, balanced breathing. So congratulations. That was Courtney Johansson, and you can find her and the various wellness programs she offers on her Facebook page and her website, and you can find links to them in the show notes below. Now, I've been working in the corporate world for over 25 years. I started when I was six, and I feel I have a good general knowledge about most aspects of running and growing a business until I interviewed Heather Cox. Heather is the founder and CEO of Certify My Business, a business consultancy that helps businesses that qualify as diverse for example, women-owned or minority-owned, to get certified. I asked her why a company should do this. 
they get more opportunities. So let's say, for example, my favorite analogy is most companies and you own a business, you probably knocked on the doors of companies and they're like, either they don't answer or they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get back to you. It's hard as a small woman, diverse, whatever. Any entrepreneur is always going to struggle, right? If I talk to you for five minutes, they're like, either totally ignore you or they're like, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then nothing ever happens. So the supplier diversity is like a side door. And if you're certified, you get access to that side door. It's called the supplier diversity side door is what I call it. Mm -hmm. Now, does every company have it? No, I actually call it this the Winchester Mansion doors. So in Northern California, there is a mansion called the Winchester Mansion. It was owned by the Winchester Rifle family. Rifle founder went crazy as she got older and she heard voices and they said to her, if you keep building, you'll never die. So she just built all these crazy walls. Like you open a door on the fourth floor and it goes a four-story drop or you open a cabinet in the kitchen and it goes to a brick wall. So there are Winchester doors that are say supplier diversity. They probably even have flashing light, but you open the door and nothing happens, right? But for the companies who truly have supplier diversity programs, you open that door and you have a VIP escort known as a supplier diversity manager that is going to walk you into the person you need to meet. Now, once you get to that person you have to meet, you better sell like any other sale you're ever going to do in your life. You better sell hard. But then if it's you and someone else in that final round and they're like, Ooh, how are we going to choose? They're both so good. They're competitive. That company's diversity certified. Now it's just tip the scales in your favor. It's a very powerful tool, but like any other tool, you have to use it. You have to work it. You can't be like, I'm certified. Where's my million dollar contracts raining from the sky. You have to use it like a tool. It's not a magic wand. That was Heather Cox of Certify My Company. And if you think your company qualifies as diverse and can get access to all of the benefits that Heather outlined, you should definitely reach out to her or to Certify My Company. Links to how to get in touch with her are in the show notes. My final guest on this Best of the Conference Room 2021 Part 1 is Brian Stone. Brian is someone I've had the privilege of knowing for over six years and is one of the most inspirational sales leaders I have ever met. Brian came into the conference room to tell his story from starting out hauling seafood on a lobster boat to putting himself through college and then embarking on a sales career in software. He now runs the global sales operation for Simulate, a leading breach and attack simulation vendor as their chief revenue officer. I asked Brian for his tips on how he finds and assesses great salespeople when he interviews them. First and foremost, for me, it's integrity. And are they going to do what they say they're going to do? And that starts with the entire process of engaging with us during the interview process. So do they come to the interview having done research? You say you want to work for us, but why? And prove it. Like, did you actually do your homework? Did you call other people to ask about us? Or do you have good questions? Are you actually prepared enough? You know, that sort of thing is indicative that they're not just going to say that they care, but they actually are turning that into action. And that's really what I'm looking for, or what are the things that you just can't hide? Like beyond the words that you say, it's what are the way you conduct yourself? Are there typos in your email? Did you send me an email ahead of time telling me you're looking forward to it? Did you send me an email after following up telling me maybe some of the details of something I mentioned and how you relate to that and how you see yourself above other candidates? Did you just come prepared with good questions? So integrity and sort of that shows work work ethic to me as well. It shows a competitive nature. I may intentionally say something that's controversial about a deal. And it's amazing how many people will go along with it, where I may tell a story that's completely fabricated about, yeah, how we did an end around with a partner just to get a reaction and how they might react to that. And it's amazing to see how many people will just go along with the crowd and go along with what I'm saying when I would really prefer that somebody would challenge me on those things. I'm not looking for just an 
another person to go along with the group thinking, but I want somebody that has a brain and can think critically for themselves and is curious. And I would say grit is the other thing as well. That was Brian Stone, Chief Revenue Officer of Simulate. And you can connect with him and learn more about Simulate by clicking on his links in the show notes below. Well, that pretty much wraps up part one of the best of the conference room 2021. My sincere thanks to all the guests featured in today's show and to you for listening. Please check out the show notes for details on each of today's best of guests, where you'll find links to learn more about the amazing work they and their companies are doing, as well as links to the full episodes of the podcasts they were featured on. I also want to thank you for listening, reviewing and rating and sharing any episode of The Conference Room. In only a few months, we went from an idea to a top 1% podcast globally, and we couldn't have done it without you. So wherever you are, thank you for listening and happy holidays. Coming up next week on The Conference Room, it's part two of the best of 2021, where we'll be focusing on the guests who specialize in online and digital marketing. If your business gets clients online, sells or markets online in any way, this will be a smorgasbord of actionable tips just for you. So look out for it when it drops. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact, anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to the conference room. Until next time, keep talking.